Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Dan. Um, I run the Twitter account Baggies Facts. Um, I, can, I, also, uh, I also write occasionally for, for Jay's website, the Crystal Palace fan on here, um, about the Premier League and what's going on. Um, so you can check that out at the Eagles Beak. Uh, hi, I'm Richard, a Manchester City fan. I write for typicalcity.org and uh, Yahoo Sport UK about City, and you can get me at Richard the Burns on Twitter. Hi, I'm also Dan, but I'm an Arsenal fan, and I write for EPLindex.com, among other sites, and you can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Dan, you managed to get a draw against Chelsea yesterday. How are you feeling about the club at the moment? It's it's just up and down this season. We've, we've a couple of defeats usually coming together. He's followed by a, a, some, some discontent regarding Pulis due to the kind of performances that that are typical of Tony Pulis. Um But then, you know, two is our, our maximum run of defeats this season, so you can't really complain. We followed up, up a couple of bad defeats with some really good runs, and, and that's what's, what we're in at the moment. Um, a couple of bad results over Christmas period, losing to Bournemouth and Swansea, have been followed up by uh, three games unbeaten. A win against Newcastle, a win against Stoke City, and then a draw away at Chelsea. So, you know, there's no complaints really. I think we all know what Pulis does and what he doesn't do. What he doesn't do is play beautiful, attractive, attacking football. But what he does do is he sets your team up superbly defensively um, and allows you the opportunity to, to score goals on, on the odd counter attack, um, but especially from set piece situations. Um, yesterday, we uh, we didn't score at all from set piece. We got two from open play, and they were actually our first two goals of the season from outside the box. A um, couple of cracking strikes from Gardner and from McLean, um, and and particularly I'm I'm happy for McLean because he gets an awful lot of stick wherever he goes, um, and for me that stick is unwarranted and or, or it's almost from people who are uneducated on his situation and why. He chose not to wear the poppy. Um, and you see a lot of the good things he does as well. He, get, he gets a fair bit of press in his homeland um, for, for things he does for, for children and stuff. He, he, he brought a, uh, a disabled girl, um, a specially adapted bike. Um, that didn't hit any headlines in this country because people aren't willing to look at the good side of him. Um, 
And I also wrote a, a bit of an article, which I always plug on here when, when James McLean does something good um, for the Eagles' beak. So you can check check out that if, if you get a spare five. Um, because he's a, he's a cracking player in terms of his attitude and in terms of work rate, in terms of... He, he's just one of those typical never-say-die never, die, never say die kind of players. And um, I think every team needs one. And sometimes he'll let you down in terms of going over the top. Um, and getting a bit frustrated and upset with the opponent, uh, a bit like Costa does every single week for Chelsea, <laughs> may I add. Um, that bloke is ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, you know, you need a player like that in your team, and, and when it comes good, it comes good. And he was superb yesterday, along with Darren Fletcher, who has been absolutely immense since joining since joining last January. Um, but but yesterday's game against Chelsea was probably one of his best for the club. Um, and even though Chelsea, are, I think you know they're below us in the league, it's still a scalp going to Stamford Bridge and, and, and getting a point, especially since they've looked to revitalise under Goose Hiddings. So overall, I'm very happy with uh, with a point away at Chelsea, considering um, you know it keeps our unbeaten run going, um, and you know we're in a happy mid-table position at the minute. So uh, happy Baggies fan over here. Yeah, you mentioned there um, the article which you you said that you, you mentioned every time uh, James McLean does well. That happens often because James McLean is often playing well. Do you think yeah. Kunis has done something in particular to help kind of bring about his great run of form, or do you think this is just his ability and we're just finally seeing it? I think just to, giving him a chance to play in the Premier League. I think there's probably a lot of talent outside of the top flight which don't get that opportunity for whatever reason, often because they're not seen as a player with the technical ability to do it in the Premier League. And, and James McLean will let you down occasionally in terms of technical ability, in terms of picking out a pass or in terms of delivering a really good cross. You know, the end product isn't there sometimes. But what you get in return for, for giving him a chance to do something is the fact that his work rate will often give him the, the upper edge over players that might well have the technical technical ability over him. Um, and fans, you know, fans are always going to love a player that works hard, regardless of his ability. But when when he can show flashes of, and glimpses of, of, you know, decent footballing quality, then, you know, you're happy to see him given that chance. And I think he's, he's a very average Premier League player. But like I say, if, if you add to that the fact that works harder than pretty much anyone else on the pitch then then it gives you something to work with awesome and uh quickly tyler roberts signs his first professional contract with you uh do you think he's going to be a premier league player or or do you think he's just kind of one of the kids that's going to kind of be depth well it's a bonus that he hasn't signed for liverpool or chelsea um because all of our young talent seems to get um Seems to get to, you know, the silver bright lights of of, uh, of the North East or, or London. They seem to be on their way, as what happened with Jan Danda, um, Jerome Sinclair, Isaiah Brown, um, three, three of the three players that are tipped to go on to really big things in football, um, brought up by the Baggies, and, and then they've been on their way um, to, you know, so called bigger clubs. Um, so it's good to see him sign a, a professional deal with us. He's already trained with the Wales first team. Um, he's rated very highly. Uh, for him to get his deal 
hopefully it means that Pulis is going to be looking towards playing him towards the end of the season. If we don't, if 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 Saido Berahino does disappear, um, this this transfer window, which I'm hoping he does, and we don't replace him, then he might be the man to to, to fill his boots. So. Um, I'm hoping to see him three or four times before the season's out. Let's just say that. But he is a you know, from from speaking to people around the club, he he's a a, a brilliant talent. Um, and hopefully he can have a lot of years at the baggies before joining a bigger club and going on to bigger and better things. And hopefully he won't be such a jerk about it when that time comes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Richard. It's been a second since you've been on. Uh, Manchester City maybe not with the best results of late, but still just three points off the title. What's your view on City at the moment? Um, well, I was going to start really negative, and then you say only three points off the title, and it's hard to go on <laughs> after that. Um, it is a really odd feeling at the moment, because obviously, as you say, three points off the top, and um, we've got a real chance of topping our best ever Champions League performance, because we, we should make the quarterfinals of that. We're in a cup semi-final and we're in the fourth round of the FA Cup. There's, there's very little that, um, in theory, could be going better when you, you, know, when you put it like that. Um, and so this is where I start to sound like a, a spoiled brat and moan about it all. Um, because, obviously, a week ago, we had the, the first leg of the uh, Capital One Cup semi-final um, in which we started brilliantly against Everton. And then, as we so often do, um, I mean, the first 20 minutes, we, we completely controlled the game, and though we weren't making too many chances, um, we we set the tempo for the game. Goodison Park was pretty much silent, which for a semi-final, um, was, it was really strange. It didn't feel like a prestigious game. Um, and that was obviously, the, I would say, largely um, caused by how well City started. Um, and then, as so often happens, we just... We became pro. Uh, we succumbed to um, a, a pretty decent pressing game by Everton, which I think Liverpool set the blueprint for beating us like that earlier in the season, and a lot of teams have now copied it with varying degrees of success. But um, we're very susceptible to it. Um, we gave away the midfield, and Everton fully deserved their their win in that game. Um, Pellegrini managed to pull a complete surprise at the end of it because he's he's really predictable with his substitutions. You know, 60, 65 minutes, Navas is probably going to come on for Silva. Um, if he's fit, you're probably going to see Bonnie come on for Aguero around the 70th minute. And then he pulled a very unwelcome um, surprise in the 91st minute when we were 2-1 down against a team that were down to 10 men because Seamus Coleman had gone off injured. And um, he brought Fernando on for Kevin De Bruyne which, had it been 11 v 11, and had we been facing an onslaught at that point, I could see him saying, OK, you know, we'll take our lot and just deal with it in three weeks in the return like at the Etihad. But um, settling for a 2-1 defeat against 10 men when we seemed to have the advantage was um, was bizarre. So I'm not quite sure what was going on there, but it's just a, another example of... Pellegrini not seems to be quite on it at the moment. Midweek, uh, sorry, not midweek, weekend we had the FA Cup third round against Norwich, which, to be fair, could hardly have gone better. Um, a 3-0 win that was, I think, done once we got the first goal, really. Norwich never really posed uh, City any problems. Uh, Pellegrini finally gave Ianacho another start, which, I mean, I'm not one for banging the drum for youth players. I think people do it too much, and it's great if you've got youth players who are able to step in. The nature of the level that City are at 
is that for a youth player to come in and have a real impact on the team, they have to be pretty exceptional, particularly in the position that Ian Acho is playing because of the creativity that City have and obviously a world-class striker in Aguero. It is hard for him to come by chances, but the fact is that when he's played, he's averaging a goal an hour and making a huge impact in this team. Um, and so I, I do wish Pellegrini would be a little less cautious with him. Um, and he got a, a very well-taken goal again. Um, but there's not really a lot more to say on it. It was a fairly routine win against a side that by rights, City should expect to beat more often than not. And then we got to play Everton again um, and be disappointed again. Um, it was dull and uninspiring and turgid football for a second half. I mean, Everton played for the draw and I, I don't blame them for that. I, I don't have an issue with teams doing that. Um, but it's up to City to be able to pick those locks, so to speak, and, and find a way through and they just couldn't. And <clears throat> Pellegrini, after me saying earlier that he's predictable with his substitutions, um, again, pulled another surprise by only making one. Um, whilst he's got Ian Acho sat on the bench and City struggling to score goals and find a way through and having no bodies in the box. Um, he tr he opted not to bring him on and opted to keep going out wide or having someone hit the ball long to Aguero, which for as good as Aguero is, that's not his game, especially when he's crowded out by defenders. It's a really difficult thing for anybody to deal with, for to play with your back to goal and have four or five players to beat. It doesn't matter how good you are, you're going to struggle. Um, and so I'm, I, I don't know what his thinking was. I don't know if he thought we're just attacking, you know, it's, it's all City, we're eventually going to get through. But um, in the stands, it felt like we could have played, we could have played all week and, and not got through that defence. Um, although, that said, we were denied at the end by one of the worst refereeing calls I've ever seen by not giving oh, a penalty. Oh, the Sterling, yeah. Yeah, for the, I mean, it's just, it's such a blatant foul. And I don't know if maybe there's a case of Sterling's reputation going before him, which um, he is a player who I find goes to ground a little too easily. And I hate it, but he, he seems to be cutting it out of his game a little bit. Um, and so maybe to a point, if a, if a player's got a reputation that they burn for going to ground too easily, then maybe they have to face the consequences of that. But it was just such a penalty. It was it was ludicrous. And in giving a goal kick, um, the referee, I think it was uh, Rod Roger East, is he called? I think, the, I think he failed to make a decision because there was one of three options there. There was a penalty. If he's not going to give the penalty, there's the option to call the dive. Or if he thinks that there's been a tackle made, then there's the option to give the corner. But in no way was there ever an option to give a goal kick. Um, and so I'd, I have no idea how he came to that decision. But, um, yeah, it was... I, I'm never one to really moan about referees and say they've cost us a game. It was purely... Um, it was certainly City's failures overall that led to dropping two points. But um, if you get a penalty in the 91st minute, you've got a better... nil-nil, you've got a better chance of winning the game than if you don't. So it did feel a little bit like we were denied. Um, and then the other thing, on a, on a personal note, that I'm finding incredibly frustrating at the moment and actually makes going to a match a little less enjoyable is the the vitriol and hatred that a lot of City fans seem to have towards Yaya Torre these days. It's a little acid... A little, I, think, I, mean, I think we've spoke about this before, Kevin. It's a little yeah. acid test that I have at a game where if I hear someone around me um, calling Yaya Torre... Excuse me, Yaya Torre lazy, um, it's pretty much a and indicated that you can switch off from their opinions because for whatever faults Yaya Torre might have, the um, the labelling or the, the label of lazy is just so easily parroted um, and a complete 
it's just that it's not true. He's not a lazy footballer. So for whatever his faults are, um, the, the the discontent and the, the dislike that City fans seem to harbour towards him these days for a player who is largely responsible for a lot of the success that has come our way in the last five years or so, um, it really, really bothers me and really irks me because he's, he's still a very, very good footballer. Um, so that's a, a personal gripe that makes... Um, just makes going to football that little less fun because it's, I mean, it's quite malicious now. And then the other little thing off the pitch is the, the Pep Guardiola speculation continues to um, rumble on. So I'm hoping that come May, he, uh, he will be in our dugout. The, all the reports suggest that he will be. I think Mr Pellegrini is on his way for a, a golden handshake, but I'm also trying not to count my chickens at this point. Yeah, you mentioned with uh, Toure there what we had spoke about before, which was uh, that a lot of players, as they get further up in age, have to adapt their game to fit their new kind of physical ability. Yes. That Toure has, you know, done a fairly good job of adjusting his game, but for some reason, as you said, many people continue to call it lazy when that's largely not what's happening at all. Yeah. One of the um, the other things that frustrates me a little bit about Yaya is. Uh, or not about Yaya, but about the coverage of Yaya. It's one of the things that um, City fans and pundits on on highlights programmes tend to lament, is that he doesn't do his sort of 60-yard lung-busting runs that he, he became sort of known for for a little while. Um, and it's that seen as... Or it's held up as an example of how he's his abilities are fading and how he's on the wane. And it really misses the point of what Yaya Torre is because, yeah, those runs were what had people off the seats, but it wasn't what made him a great player. What what made him a great player and continues to make him a, a very good and very effective player is the way that he can sit deep or he can play up top and he can dictate play. That He's got this, like, this metronomic style of football that he sets the pace for everyone around him. And, of course, as he ages that's going to be more difficult to do. But I just feel like that criticism really misses the point of the player that Yaya Torre is. And it's incredibly frustrating to hear that week in, week out. And, um, like, you know, obviously people have their opinions, but I, I just see something different to what um, a lot of people see. And like I said, I don't really think people call him lazy because he doesn't run 60 yards anymore. I don't think that's a particularly creditable point. And it's... Um, it's just intensely frustrating. And you, I know it's coming every game. Like Whenever he loses the ball, there's a really particular, a very special sort of, um, also a very special type of groan reserved for Yaya. Um, and it it disappoints me really that a player who should go should be remembered as a Premier League great and arguably City's greatest ever player, um, obviously that's up for debate, but certainly one of, um, is possibly not going to be remembered in the way that he should, which is a, a real shame. Yeah, all right. Uh, Dan from the Department of Disappointing Draws. Uh, uh, 3-3 with Liverpool yesterday. What was your take on that match? Absolutely mental. Um, The first, what was it, 25, 30 minutes were just... uh, To be fair, the whole match was insane. The first 25, 30 minutes when the first four goals were scored, and it was just absolutely insane. Um First goal was I'd probably the first time since the opening day I've been a bit disappointed with Petr Cech. Uh, I thought he could have done better with his initial save. I uh, pumped an Emery Chan shot straight to Roberto Firmino, who went and uh, put in the rebound, took off his shirt, got a booking, which for some reason got a lot of Arsenal fans annoyed. I don't really know why, but whatever, I don't care. 
Um, and then it was actually funny. Uh, two or three minutes after that, I said, okay, yeah, I don't think we're going to win this because our record from coming behind is terrible. We have one come-behind win since the opening day of last season. So, And then genuinely less than two minutes after that, we scored the equalize. And then after we went 2-1 down for that screamer from Firmino, I said something similar, but more jokingly, like, well, like, this can't work twice, right? But, um, yeah, after that first 30 minutes, Liverpool seemed to... I don't know if it's Liverpool being less effective with their press or us getting into the game. We, we seemed to have woke up after we equalized the second time. And um, we started playing legitimately well after that rough first half an hour. But um, then we went 3-2 up in the second half with Olivier Giroud channeling his inner Dennis Bergkamp uh, that ter- with that turn. That was awesome. But... Um, yeah, I went 3-2 up, then we started sitting a bit deeper, but we posed some amount of threat on the counterattack until we took um, Theo Walcott and Joel Campbell off for Kieran Gibbs and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. After those two came off, we kind of lost our threat in the counter, and we're just bunkering in, fighting off Liverpool attack after attack, and just inviting pressure onto us, and eventually they made it pay with um, Joe Allen, of all people, scoring for his first shot on target of the season, because, of course... Um, it's really, really t- crazy how this is basically the same match as last season. It it really is. Um, we get outplayed in the first half, or at least the first stage of the game. Ridiculously, we go a goal down, then we equalize soon after. Then we score in the second half to go 2-1 up, allow pressure to come on to us, and, equal- and uh, concede an equalizer with, like, two minutes to go. It was really the same match. It was disappointing less disappointing because city drew but it was still still a punch to the gut yeah uh we have to talk about it olivier Giroud. everybody mentioned i don't know probably two weeks ago three weeks ago even a month ago that the goals were about to dry up they always do that he goes on these bursts of form and then everybody says he's world class and then he falls short and then everyone says he isn't do you think that Olivier Giroud is now capable of maintaining this level of form, or do you as an Arsenal fan still fear that there may be a drop-off coming soon? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think he's a good enough striker to do what we want to do. Um, that's not saying a whole lot, but I, I think he's a very good striker. I think he's harshly, very harshly looked at by Arsenal fans just because they've got this thing in their head that he's not good enough that we need this world-class striker even though if you look at the options out there they're not going to have much better goal impacts than Olivier Giroud does um as far as whether the goals would dry up it he does tend to be a relatively streaky striker streaky striker uh and sometimes if his confidence takes a hit he can go through a bad run of form but i I don't know how it's going to go through, but he's great right now, and I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. If it might last all season, who knows? It might not. I I don't know how it's going to go, but for right now, he's good enough, and I think he's good enough regardless as a top striker, just whether we need someone to work with him is the only real question. Well, if he does it all year, you're probably going to win the title, as much as that pains me and likely Richard. Um, <laughs> for uh, For Tottenham... Uh, we had a pretty disappointing loss yesterday uh, to Leicester. We had 21 shots, five on target, none for goals. Uh, and because of that, I will do something that I don't often do, which is quote Harry Redknapp when I say 
we truly did not get the rub of the green. A, don't be disappointed that I didn't do the accent this time. Uh, and B, uh, that, that isn't to discredit Leicester at all. A lot of Tottenham fans were very irritated with how Leicester played the game. They set up to defend. They set up to counterattack. Uh, as if that was somehow new news. Um, Leicester have been doing it to a great extent this whole season. And when you're breaking with players like Mahrez and Vardy, and to somewhat of an extent, Albrighton, uh, it's one of the reasons why they're currently second in the league. So, like, Vertonghen came out and complained about them playing long balls. I don't know what he think Toby Alderweireld is doing next to him all day. But apparently he doesn't think we're ever playing long balls to Della Ali. Uh, so that was very surprising to hear so many Tottenham fans kind of fall short of the mark on on Leicester there. But they they did it again. They held us. They frustrated us. I'm not sure if this is much of a saying in this kind of football, but... They, the kind of bend but don't break mentality of defense and they did it well uh, Christian Fuchs continues to be a super underrated player in the league despite being one of the best set piece takers probably in the Premier League right now he put a ball straight onto Robert Huth's massive face uh, and, and he, he powered through a header he didn't jump he just planted like the tree he is and just nodded at home very late in the match very disappointing from a Tottenham perspective uh, especially when we've kind of uh, held pride in ourselves that Tottenham are very well uh, conditioned and that we tend to be better than teams in the second half of matches. And that wasn't the case in this one. And you don't want to blame uh, fixture congestion because everybody's been doing it, but literally every other team in the Premier League has two strikers. And we continue to not have two, which is still shocking to me. Um all in all, the reaction to this match was very intense. People complaining about the 11, Pochettino, Levy, the lack of a second striker, which I just mentioned. And the initial reaction of very upset was very warranted in a match like this. Losing what is essentially a six-pointer at the moment with Leicester ahead of us in the table. Uh, but a little bit of perspective could be used here uh, in that we lost... 1-0 to the second place team in the league. They only had two shots on target. One of them's a goal. Uh, all the other results went our way. Uh, with draws from United and Liverpool and Arsenal and City. So nobody gained ground on us except Leicester, which was the only match we were in control of. But everything else went our way. It was only our third loss of the season. And we're still just seven points off top. I mean, is it disappointing that we lost? Yes. But things are not nearly as grim as a lot of Tottenham fans are making things out to be at the moment. Now, in regard to the second striker thing, it seems we have shifted our attention away from he who shall not be named, although, I'll give you a hint, he goes to one of the Dan's clubs, but doesn't play. Um, but it looks like we're moving on, closing in on Musa Dembele, the Fulham one, not the one that we already have, two S's. <laughs> that will be very confusing if it does happen. Continues to be in the I'll believe it when I see it camp. As far as Paul Mitchell's uh, black book goes in that position, apparently the Telegraph think they've cracked the code uh, as Tottenham have been seen scouting Briel and Bolo, which we already knew. Uh, Borja Gonzalez and Naki Williams, Laurent de Poitre. That's how it's spelled. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow, right. you went full American. You never I go did. full American. I really, I, I was doing it phonetically. Well, <laughs> you've just, you've just lost the strikers that um, don't play for one of the dance clubs. You're signing Danny Welbeck? When did that happen? Oh, man. What were you going to say, uh... Uh, I was just going to say you've just upset any French listener at this (laughs) (laughs) I apologize. I think I might have nailed it the first time, but I'm not sure at all. So we'll just call him Lawrence. Um, (laughs) The other option is... That's not better. Well, whatever. The best option... Not the best option. The last option is Sebastian Haller, who plays in the Netherlands at FC Utrecht. Um, apparently Sunderland and Norwich were also both in for him, but Sunderland uh, just brought in Dom and Doy, who was on loan at Hull last season. Or did they actually buy him and then immediately sell him? I think they bought him, but I yeah, me too. Sure. Hmm. Well, that's weird. And also Norwich, who are allegedly in for a striker, despite the fact they just signed Graban, who's literally the best striker. It sold for eight million to Bournemouth. So I'm going to use that as a segue point. Because the topic today is, why do you think there have been so few big moves in this transfer window? And then the ones that have been made, Bournemouth, like I mentioned, with Louis Graben and Juan Iturbe and Benica Fobe. Then you have Sunderland, just mentioned, Dom and Doy, also brought in Jan Kirchhoff from Bayern Munich. Do you think that those two clubs now have a better chance of staying up now that they have splashed the cash? I think on why there's um, been so few transfers so far, I think there's like... there's. A few things at play. Um, so if you think of the the teams that are perhaps the more moneyed teams um, and would have uh, the biggest spending power, so City, Chelsea, United, there's three teams there with um, unresolved or maybe uncertain uh, managerial situations. And so I think maybe you've got boards um, and, and directors who would possibly be cautious about um, about sanctioning moves and, and throwing money and, and giving serious back into managers who they've already, um, in City and United's case, who they've already backed heavily and obviously in, in Chelsea's case, a manager who just isn't going to be there next season um, maybe there would be a bit of hesitance and, and reluctance in um, in throwing money at it in January when they could wait until the summer and have a proper um, rebuild may, as, as may be the case um, and then that would possibly also work the other way. Like if you're a player with the possibility to move to one of those clubs and you know that, um, take City, for example, you know that, well, Pellegrini might fancy you, but Pep Guardiola might not, if that is to be what happens in the summer, that maybe would be uh, something in the back of your mind. And maybe you would say, well, if they want me enough, then they'll come knocking again in summer. Cause obviously these things aren't just on a managerial level anymore. Um, there's a, a committee um, for want of a better word, um, so I think maybe that would affect the so you know the, the bigger teams in the league um, and the richer teams. But then for the for the rest of the league, I wonder if the the TV deal that's going to come into play next season might might be having an impact um, because again, if you're a, a player who you know you've got the possibility to move to the Premier League, you have the potential to make yourself that much more richer in the summer. It's going to be, in my opinion, something of an unknown quantity. Um, We don't know exactly how clubs are going to choose to spend the extra money, but it's probably a pretty safe bet that 
wages will rise again, as always seems to happen when uh, more money is thrown into the league, because that's the resource that helped the it seems see as making them successful. It's obviously the playing staff, so they invest heavily in it. There'll be more scope for investment. So I wonder if maybe players will um, will bide their time somewhat, knowing that they can make a lot more money um, come the summer. I've, and that's not a, a criticism that people like to call footballers mercenaries and all that. But at the end of the day, it's people's lives. And if they've got the opportunity to make more money in six months' time, I would never hold that against somebody for, for doing the same job. Um, so I'm sure that's not the be-all and end-all. But I think it might be a factor. And then as for Bournemouth and Sunderland, um, they've stolen a march on everybody else, uh, particularly for Sunderland, who are uh, having another fairly dreadful season. Um, bringing anything in to freshen things up and um, sometimes it's just about creating a buzz and that's a really simple way of looking at it but sometimes just the idea that you freshening things up sounds like a, a placebo effect we see it with when quite often when new managers go to clubs you get that four or five game bounce and it's a, it's a real thing it, it, it exists and so bringing a couple of players in it, you can see why it would have the same effect on the training ground and when players uh, you know players who are struggling or uh, in a in a team that aren't doing so well, they get new teammates. You see that the club are clearly taking their survival seriously and, and willing to um, to back the manager and, and all that goes with that. I think maybe just psych- psychology will play a big part in that and freshen things up. Um, so yeah, I would say forget the technical level of those players. I think making signings when you you know really amongst it down at the bottom. It can't be a bad thing as long as you're not, um, you know, as we've seen teams do, as long as you're not risking your future by going overboard with the amount you're paying. Um, I don't think clubs at the bottom really have too much to lose with with those signings. So fair play to them for stealing a march on uh, on the competition. I think I think it's good that Bournemouth are spending money. Um, you know, they've got the money to spend. They've got fair mm. owners. Um, but I'm not too sure... If they're getting value for money at all with, with with the players that they've got, but and I think I think that's seen the fact that they've gone so early in January and they've signed players at a time when Premier League clubs don't usually sign players until the last few days in the transfer window in January because everyone's everyone's the, the chairman and the technical directors at the clubs and the people that negotiate transfer deals just literally probably just argue for it the whole month. And try to get the best deal possible for their club, whereas Bournemouth, I think, have just decided right. I'm not. What? what what's your asking price for this player? We'll pay as, as close to to it as as we can, and they've got their men fairly early. Um, and the positive with that is it gives these players time to bed in a little bit into their side because if you're signing players on deadline day, you think about it. They've got pretty much just over three months with their new club, so. You know, there's a lot of games in January, and it's understandable why why uh, Bournemouth have gone early, and they've, they've probably paid more. But like I say, it's it's a good thing, um, and I think I think another the, another factor that comes into play in the January transfer window is uh, is is what many managers call up the trickle down effect of the big club signing players first, and then that allows the little the smaller littler. I can say that because I'm I'm a fan of one, um, <laughs> one of the smaller clubs. Um, the, sorry, the smaller clubs then can, can go and sign the players that they need to, often from the bigger clubs. Um, but we've not seen any of the bigger clubs yet really make a move. Um, 
Leicester, you could consider a, a big club now. I've got Dem- Demarai Graham, which is a fantastic sign, if you ask me. Um, <clears throat> it, it's it's a bit of a he's in the mould of a of a um, of a Zaha for me, um, who went to Man United from Palace. Uh, so I'm surprised one of the bigger clubs haven't taken a bit of a punt on him because he's got so much natural ability. Um, so yeah, I, I I just think that. Um, you will see more deals as the uh, as the window goes on, um, and hopefully a couple of them will be involved in West Bromwich Albion. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With a bit of uh, luck, maybe, if we can get rid of uh, the player who we shall not name. Um, as far as uh, bleh, not, not very many deals happening, I just I kind of think that's January. Not that much happens till the end of the window, like they've been saying. Um, as far as the deals that have happened, uh, I would agree with Elder Dan that I don't uh, Bournemouth have not got value for, on eight million for Lewis Graben. Um, if he proves me wrong, fair play. But eight million for Lewis Graben, I just that that just no. Um, I do like the fact that they are signing players. Like, they need strikers with Callum Wilson out for the year. I, well, I don't know if he's going to come back by the very end of the season, but I always assume not with ACL injuries. Um, ben Phobe, I obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I know him. I like the signing. Uh, he's been doing very, very well in the championship. Uh, this, I think he signed for Wolves in the January window last year, so it would be the last 12 months. If not, he may have signed in the summer for the last six months. Either way, been doing well in the lower leagues. Um, he always had potential. He just... No, it was never going to progress to the player he is now with um, with Arsenal. Uh, knee injuries held him back with us, and he was just never going to have a game time. He's gone on to become a pretty decent striker, and um, I think it's a good signing for Bournemouth. I think Aturbe is also a good signing, replacing uh, Gradle, who I've seen might be back at some point. But again, with those kind of injuries, I always assume they're out for the season. If they're not, that's a happy surprise. But um, yeah, I like what Bournemouth has done, have done. Uh, Sunderland, I just... I mean, it's more bodies, I guess. Dom and Doy could be better than Stephen Fletcher, so that's something. I still think they're going down. Uh, it, it'd take a couple more moves for me to think they're not going down, but they're giving it a go, and they're not being stupid about it. They're getting um, both Ndoy and Kirchhoff in on loan, so they don't have any uh, long-term commitments. Um, yeah, so I don't. I like the business they've done, even if they may not be getting value, uh, and I think more moves will happen. We've just seen in the last two days Liverpool signed Stephen Colker on loan, and Arsenal signed Mohamed Elneny something. I'm Feel free to go full American that. if you want. <laughs> I'd rather not. I don't even think <laughs> that would change a thing, to be honest. But, um, uh, Elneny, but, um... <laughs> oh, hey, Elneny! <laughs> no, Arsenal, Arsenal Fan TV went full Arsenal Fan TV and made some awful, horrible, horrible video of him... Wait, like Arsenal fan video. TV made a maybe a made video a that made Arsenal video? fans look worse? Are you <laughs> are you sure? Shocker. But uh, yeah, I think the big clubs will start big, making big moves. Like I said, Calker or to uh, are we counting Liverpool as a big club? 
I'll, I'll count it. In theory, yeah. In theory, uh, they made a move. Uh, Arsenal made a move. Uh, yeah, so I think we'll see more to come. I don't think we'll see any Fernando Torres moves, but I think there'll definitely be some more signings among everyone in the Premier League. And Swansea need a striker. Because Gomez is terrible. I'm not just saying that for my bet. He's terrible. Yeah, I'm pretty confident he won't get there regardless of whether or not they bring in someone, but they oh, desperately need to bring in a striker. He's not even starting now. It's true. Before this match week, which kind of ruined the stat, but I forgot that they scored two goals. Um, going into this week, guess 1-20 to 20 where Swansea fell in goal scored. I'm going to go with 20. Yeah, they were level on 17 goals with Aston Villa. Villa? Yeah. And I, I feel like everyone, and I've mentioned this on the show before, we have this mental image of what Swansea is from what they've done consistently their first three years up. And it's very hard to recalibrate to them being awful. And I got there this weekend. I, I watched part of that match. I know the red card was unwarranted and two of Defoe's goals were probably offside. But that result wouldn't have been surprising regardless. And I, I think that that really shows how bad it's gotten. Andre Ayew was a bright spot, had an excellent finish. Gilfie Sigurdsson scored again, this time from the penalty spot. But yeah, things looking very bad indeed for Swansea at the moment. Uh, for the other clubs that we already mentioned that have made signings, I think that I, agree, I do agree with you guys that Bournemouth haven't gotten the best uh, hmm, the best value uh, from the players that they brought in. I do think that two of them were very important players to bring in. Aturbe replacing Gordel and uh, bringing in Benek Afobe up top. Everybody mentioned Callum Wilson. Uh, and I'm not sure that they uh, super trust... Um, oh, wow. His name just escaped Josh me. King? From Crystal Palace. Uh, uh, oh, Glenn Murray. Glenn yeah, Murray. Yeah, Glenn yeah. Murray. Yeah. Um, I understand that they didn't feel super confident in them, and you saw it because Benicafobe literally started like three days after he signed for them. Uh, so yes, I agree that they overpaid on them, but I think what they're doing, and I know you mentioned the owners there, Dan, but I think what they're really doing is spending next year's Premier League money to stay in the Premier League to get that money. And once we see that massive paycheck come in, I think very few people will... Uh, have any questions because as many people have said including Jim Knight from Leicester uh, earlier this season that he didn't care what they did this year 17th or nothing because that gets you the paycheck just like everyone else and I, yeah. I think that come next year if Bournemouth are still up very few people will be able to judge these deals was Grabman for eight insane absolutely but if it nets them like Insane yeah, asylum. It was insane, it was crazy but... pants. But if it means that they get that Premier League payout next season, it's absolutely worth it. Because we're talking about maybe you spent six million extra on a player, but now you're getting fifty plus million. I I, I have no issue with it. And I thought the Aturbe and Afobe signings were good enough that I'll give them a pass on this one, especially if it does mean they stay up. Sunderland, I have been much less confident about this season. I've mentioned it many times that I thought they were going down, especially after I was forced to watch them for money the first <laughs> half of the season. Um, but uh, this win against Swansea was a big one. I, I mentioned Tottenham's match being a six-pointer. This was another one. Now Defoe is on form as they face Tottenham at the weekend. I don't love that as a Tottenham fan. If they manage to pick up a draw or a win there... I honestly think that those two matches could completely change everything they're doing. I really don't think Domondoy is going to matter much, especially with 
Big Sam, Large Sam. What are we calling him now? Just Sam Big Allardyce, Sam. I suppose. No, no longer Sam. Fa- oh, it was Sam Fat Allardyce Sam, and then it was Big Sam. Oh, and then, yeah, who did they beat? And they were like, oh, it's Allardyce, in it? And you're like, no, uh, it's not. <laughs> Whatever. It doesn't matter because nobody's going to call him that. Um, but anyway, he actually played. Sam. Yeah. Uh, they actually played Jermaine Lenz, which was nice. It's almost like he's one of their 11 best players. It's crazy to say. Uh, Patrick Van Anholt looks like a footballer again. Two goals and an assist, I believe, in his last two matches. Um, so things are turning up for Sunderland. Will it be enough? I'm still not sure. Again, I don't think the Dom and Doy signing is really going to matter much other than depth, only because they're currently playing 3-5 at the back. You all know how that works. Uh, how it shifts when you're in attack or defense. Um, and so I'm not really sure there's place for a second striker at the moment. They were rolling two strikers there for a while with Fletcher and Duncan Watmore, who I do like. And then Defoe was in there for a bit, and then Barini was in there for a bit, and then Fletcher was in there for a bit, and then Toivonen was in there for a bit. They have so has many Toy- strikers. Why did they Toy- bring in Domidor? I has literally... Toy- been playing in the midfield? He was, yeah. I mean, if, not effectively. If you take, like... Yeah, well, if you took just their uh, like preseason positions or like FIFA positions against us, they played four defenders, one midfielder, and five forward players. Mm. So oh, that in, that includes Rickers. Jeremy Lenz, who yeah. played striker at times uh, when he was uh, partnered you, up with uh, Diamersi Mbokani over there at Dynamo Kiev. Um, yeah. it, no, it just ended up being a four four two. But it was like I looked at the lineup <laughs> yeah, like what I is remember going that. on. Yeah, it's a wait. You don't know about that four one nine. Four one five. That's not how math works. Um, okay, one twenty seven. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's my take on on the smaller clubs. I I do think that Bournemouth chances are bolstered. I don't think Sunderland's are bolstered. I think that their just performances have improved, and because of that, they may stay up. Um, I do think that Jan Kirchhoff is probably the, I don't know, second best center back at that club. Don't ask me to who's the best of Kabul O'Shea or Coates. I can't do no it. One. But I'm, ass- I'm assuming no he's second. Just it, it's hard to say that they brought in a player with no knowledge of the club or the league and immediately say he's their best center back. But you know what? It could be. So who knows? Um, okay. Uh, for the large scale question of why have there been so few moves, I respect all of the opinions that you've said but i am still surprised that it hasn't happened i know that the january january window is slower and i know it always happens late in january but you only have a month to sort things out right and the league is so close right now there are two teams tied at first there's one point in between fourth and fifth there's two points in between sixth and seventh So, so these are these kind of threshold places in the league I'm very surprised that we're seeing so little investment, especially with the strategy I just mentioned with Bournemouth. If you're a club like Tottenham and you're a fringe, and I say that with a grain of salt, title contender, why not spend that perceived Champions League money if you do stay up there or that perceived next year's Premier League money to guarantee a spot higher up in the table? And it wouldn't be as valued of of a... uh, tactic if everyone was doing it but currently no one is doing it save for those two teams that we've already mentioned so i am surprised that people haven't really jumped on early in this window to try to get positions sorted out Uh, i wrote an article last year that looked at january transfers and in doing so discovered that teams that spend five million pounds in the premier league in january finish on average two points higher on the table than those that don't and with the margins so small which i mentioned earlier this year 
it's crazy to me that no one is doing it because two points right now <laughs> takes, you know, one of the, the teams tied right now, Arsenal's top, Leicester second on goal difference. It takes Leicester top. It takes West Ham, who are currently one point behind in fifth, puts them in the top four, puts United in the top four. Things like that, it blows my mind. Puts Stoke into Europa League spots. There are five teams within three points of the relegation zone. And two of them have spent in Sunderland and uh, Bournemouth. Actually, I don't think Bournemouth are even that close. I think they might be a little bit north of that now. But, um, yeah, it's just very surprising to me that people have not gone in. I do realize that it is January and it tends to go more slowly. But it seemed like if it was going to happen any year, it would be this year. And it just hasn't seemed to happen. All right, and from there we will head on to Player Watch, where we're each going to mention a player that impressed and one that disappointed in our club's most recent fixture. There's often opposition to this segment, so if you don't want to disparage someone at your club, you can name a player from the opposition that you felt performed particularly well. We'll start off with Dan and Albion. Uh, player to watch has to be Darren Fletcher. Uh, all over pitch yesterday, epitomising um, what a captain should be doing for your club. And, uh, you know, it's, he's just been phenomenal since he joined from Man United, as I, as I mentioned earlier. Um, he'd probably get into their side now, to be honest with you, as would Johnny Evans, um, considering how, how poor Manchester United have been to a point um, this season. Um, so yeah, absolutely fantastic performance. Lots of tackles. Um, he, I, I even looked on the stats, and he, he had, a, I think, he completed more take-ons than anyone else on the pitch. So uh, you know, when you've got a, a, a field full of Chelsea superstars, that's no mean feat. So uh, has to be Darren Fletcher for me. And then a player to avoid watching. I'm not sure what. I'll, I'll never get it right, Kev. Player to not watch. To... <laughs> the player to actively avoid watching. I turn off the TV when this player is on the screen. <laughs> well, it's got to be Diego Costa, hasn't it? I mean, I know Jakob should probably have been sent off, to be honest. If you've watched the game, you'll, you'll get it. Um, he was just being a bit... He was he was, bit, he was being a bit of an ankle biter, Jakob was, and he'd been sent off at Chelsea before. Um, so I don't think the Chelsea fans admire him too much. But, you know... Costa, you know, teams are going to try and wind the bloke up because he's going to bite every time. So if he can't rise to that, then he's just stupid. You know, he's To be just... fair, I don't think anyone's ruling that out. Well... <laughs> <laughs> if you do, just... you are very naive. <laughs> I think you've just hit the nail on the head there, Kev. I think he is just stupid. You know... Get on with the game. Try and score some goals because you've got quite a lot of ability, mate. You know, you don't need to be getting involved with spats in every... Fair enough, the odd game, you get a bit upset, you lose your temper. Fair enough, it happens. But it is almost like an ongoing thing every week for the, for the player. You know, he's just a bit brain dead, you know. But some, some people say he doesn't need calming down because that's what he, he brings to a Premier League and you know, a part of the reason why he's such a good player. But for me, you know, he could potentially get sent off every week. Um, and I think it's it, it's time that referees start camping down on it. And all these little pats to the face that he gives people and all these little kickouts, he should just be shown straight red for him and, and be sent on his way. He'll soon learn his lesson. Bloody idiot. 
<laughs> I don't think you'll find much argument here. Uh, Richard, who impressed and who disappointed for Manchester City? Um, for impressed, I mean, for it's a, an odd one for a game in which, um, although you know, critical of uh, our end product, we did dominate the second half. But I was actually, I think, I'm going to go for Martin Dimitrelis, but I think part of the reason I was impressed um, was because. It, he set himself quite a low benchmark this season. <laughs> you won um, a match where he started. That's it's a start. Well, yeah. I mean, to, to we got you know to, oh, to take a point when he plays is something. Um, he's, I mean, I like Dimitrelis a lot, but he's very quickly regressed this season. Um, just a, a week ago in the the cup game against Everton, he came on at half time when Mangala was injured, and he was absolutely dreadful. And um, but yesterday he managed his own. Um, his own faults quite well. He wasn't done for pace too many times. Um, his reading of the game was decent. And up against um, Lukaku, who scores most weeks at the moment, um, to have helped keep him at bay and been part of the partnership that did that, um, I think he deserves a lot of credit because he was really decent. Um, and yeah, fair play to him. Um, for player... The unwatchable player, a player who was particularly bad. Um, again, for as unimpressed as I was by City yesterday, it's actually hard to find one player who was poor. Just as a collective team effort, they were um, really dull and it didn't click. So I suppose I'll, I'll use the option to praise um, an Everton player, which may contradict everything I've just said, but I did. I was quite impressed by Lukaku. Um, it's I think everybody knows just um, just how good he is. He's, like I say, he scores most weeks. Um, but to see him live is quite a different thing to um, seeing him on TV, as I have to make do with most weeks. And the way he uses his physicality um, and the, the skill and his, his vision uh, is, is really quite impressive. And obviously, he's still an incredibly young man. Um, so to see him bullying Premier League players the way he does is... Um, I was going to say great. Obviously, it wasn't great to see last night for me. Um, there was one particular uh, chance that Everton had in the first half where Lukaku held the ball up um, sort of out wide in our penalty area and held off a, uh, a couple of our defenders before picking out a, a wonderful cross to Leon Osman who nearly scored one of the goals of the season with a left foot volley that went about an inch wide with, with Joe Hart left standing still. Um, I thought he was Everton's biggest threat. Uh, and so... Um, I don't think it's a, lever- a revolutionary idea for me to say that he's a player to watch, but he was um, he was thoroughly impressive, um, and so it was it was good to see him live. I'm just glad that he didn't continue his goal scoring streak. Yeah, and Dan, who impressed and disappointed for Arsenal? Uh, I'm going to say one and a half players that impressed because we've already talked about one of them, but the uh, half is none other than Olivier Giroud. And since, like I said, we already talked about him, all I'm going to say is he has 18 goals in 30 appearances and only 22 starts this season, so that's pretty good. Yeah. But, um... Harry Kane-esque. Uh, except I had to he, ruin it. Except he can close his mouth. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God, it's so bad. I remember so uh, bad. seeing somebody who was like, you know, the really annoying thing, because, you know, people were one year wondering at Kane. Um, when he started scoring the second season, somebody said... Uh, all right, well, it looks like he's going to be good. Can't wait to see his statue outside White Hart Lane, which, A, that stadium won't be there, and B, that's a stretch. But they said it would have live mouth-breathing action, 
which yeah, I cool. thought was one of the funniest. Just envisioning a statue. Did you just walk up? Just like, <gasps> I, I don't know why. I just thought that was the funniest thing on earth. Okay, uh, well, I interrupted but you. Yeah, no, the other one would have been Joel Campbell. He played very, very well. Had uh, two. Yeah, I think it ended up being two assists and just played well overall. Uh, he has been this year's Francis Coughlin. Uh, as much as lots of people, myself included, doubted him, he's come pretty good so far. Uh, he's playing very well, and, uh, well, long may it continue, and it's a very, very big surprise. It's it's funny, because at the moment, I think once Alexis comes back, I think he might retain his place over Theo Walcott, um, if nothing else, because he is probably a better foil for Alexis, but he's been playing just as well, if not better, than every wide player on in this squad right now. So, it's crazy, but he's done very very well and has probably had one of his best if not his best performances in the Arsenal shirt against Liverpool it was it was fantastic uh, <laughs> and it's all really weird to me and everyone else but he's good yeah like two months ago didn't I read an article about Arsene Wenger being like if he doesn't play well this week he's gone or something to that effect I definitely didn't say it that directly but um Maybe somebody wrote it that way. That's probably the way <laughs> someone wrote it. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, everyone thought he was, well, if it wasn't for all the injuries, he'd have been done. But, um, yeah, yeah. no, he was, I think he was And now he's favored more than Ox, right? People saying Ox is trying too hard, he's towns ending it up. He's very much towns ending it up, except instead of shooting all the time, he just continues to dribble. Yeah. You know, I yeah, always it's... say I hate it when people compare players like that, but I constantly do it with Ibe Townsend and Ox. And they just uh, each have a turn yeah. being decent. That's so easy. I know, it's, it's so it's lazy. Not, it yeah. really is, and I do recognize that. But yeah. uh, and Then, for a player of a disappointed, uh, Matthew Flamini, I guess. Um, he, <laughs> for all the parallels between um, this year's oh, game at Anfield and last year's game at Anfield, he was another one. Um, he had the same kind of performance and made the same kind of mistakes. Granted, Ramsey went forward a lot, which didn't help him. And sometimes left him on an aisle, but uh, even without that, he was not good. He often dropped too deep. He would essentially drop in as a fifth center back when there's absolutely no need to do so and vacate the midfield. Uh, as well as we just didn't, we we refused to build play because we knew um, Liverpool would press us. We didn't re- build play from the back because we knew Liverpool would press us and Flamney's useless in building play normally, and even more so when he's being pressed. Uh, so if you look at Petr Cech's kicking numbers, he kicked long. It has to be more times than any other game we've played this season. Don't count or don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case because he was kicking long every time. We weren't even bothering building from the back at times. Um, Flamney just... He's not good. This isn't news. He's not good. He's probably he better be gone after this season, unless he plans on buying the club with his twenty billion dollars from his uh, company. Yeah, but, what, um, what is that like? Algae fuel? What was that all about? It's something with fuel. It's yeah. something with fuel. But um, yeah, no, he's he's not good. I hope El Nene is better. I really, really hope he's better. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, Flamney. You're not the worst guy, but you're not the best footballer. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, quickly for Tottenham, uh, Lamela has been getting uh, stick for this match after having been so good over the last two months. He was the only person that did anything. Had six created chances, led to most of our opportunities. Did he have two shots that he had that should have been buried that he put over the crossbar? Yes. Uh, but he was one of the few people actually doing things. Played the disappointed Kyle Walker, who did his best to give away uh, the lead. 
and then uh, only because Hugo Lloris is amazing uh, did we avoid that situation where Lloris made contact with the player and the ball at like in slow motion at the exact same moment. Um, so had it not been for that, would have either conceded a penalty or they would have just been able to pass the ball into the net. Um, so impressed by LaMela, disappointed by Walker, quickly running out of time. So we will very, very quickly do a truncated version of previews where you tell me if you'll win or not. Kevin, hey, that's me. Tottenham versus Sunderland. Yes. Uh, Richard, City going to beat Palace? Um, quick thing to mention, we have not won two back-to-back Premier League games all season, and our last wow. Premier League game was a win. Uh, sorry, no, I've lied. I meant, I don't, I've that's, gone yeah, too big that's on not that. That's true. No, two back-to-back league games since October. I got mm. far too carried away there. I was going to say, you won your first five. I don't you got know, hyped. Pretty sure yeah. that counts back-to-back. <laughs> sorry, we haven't won two back-to-back league games since October, which is ridiculous. Um, so, And our last Premier League game was a win. Uh, so that would suggest, no, I'm going to be far more optimistic and uh, go for a, ooh, a 2-0 win for City. That's fine. They don't have a striker. Um, <laughs> Dan, uh, Southampton versus Albion. Southampton 1, West Bromwich Albion 5. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Dan, Stoke versus Arsenal. Uh, I'm not confident. We haven't won away to Stoke since, I think it was 09-10. Yeah, 09-10. Uh, it's a bogey ground for us for Britannia. Everyone knows it. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to say no and hope the whole reverse psychology thing that was working against Liverpool works. I'm going to hope that works. Yeah, uh, fun stat there. Um, Stoke are very near the bottom of the table in total goals scored this season, but they're top over the last five. Um, Although, Shakiri, I think I saw he's not playing. Yeah, he's out for two weeks. So we'll see what happens with that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe now they'll freaking play DF because they really should. Uh, okay, well, we are out of time, so if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Um, not really big on the project front, unfortunately, at the moment, but um, weekly I'd like for uh, the Eagles Beak and give you a view on the uh, on the Premier League, the league that we all love to uh, to watch, the best league in the, in the world. There we go. See you later, guys. Cheers. Um, for me, um, as I mentioned earlier, typicalcity.org um, is a dedicated city blog. Um, one of the, the things that we're, I wouldn't call it a project, but one of the things that we're doing at the moment is um, we've gone down the route of seeing if we can successfully be reader funded, um, asking for what works out as like literally a dollar a month um, to try and avoid being funded by betting companies, as so many blogs are these days. Um, for blogs that do that, fine. It's something that we would like to avoid so we're trying something a bit new we've received a reasonable amount of credit for it so far and um, so i'd certainly encourage uh, people to look at that if they wish to um and i write two articles a week on manchester city for yahoo sport uk so if anybody wishes to look there to hear my ramb- uh, to see my ramblings uh, in written form then that'd be great cheers and uh, yeah, I'm still Dan. You can catch me on Twitter at the underscore Jersey underscore Fitz and everything I write or do or whatever will be on there. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and I'm Kevin at Kevroff on Twitter. I'm your host, in case that was not abundantly clear. Uh, I write over at blog.playtaga.com, indieeaglesbeak.com, which is unfortunately down at the moment. 
Uh, so there is no fantasy article for me this week. But if you do want fantasy advice, listen to the FPL Roundtable, which is up right now. It's on the same audio feed as this. So either you're getting it automatically or you're very selective in avoiding it. Um, <laughs> but if you listen to that and want fantasy advice, that's always a good place to go for us. So yeah, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.